0: Hello and welcome to Doctor Who 50 Years Ago, the show that looks back to the episode that aired in 1970 and looks at the differences between then and now. This week, the first episode of Inferno by Don Horton, which is an earth-ripping good yarn. I am Ben. I am Luke. And I am Nick. And here we are and here we go into the news from 1970. During the week commencing Monday the 4th of May there are three occurrences worth of note. Firstly, the National Executive of the Institution of Professional Civil Servants, thanks a lot for that name, is to express deep concern about the intrusions into privacy that computers have made possible in 1970. And they are to oppose, quote, any arrangement for keeping personnel records by computers under which the confidential nature of the information cannot be guaranteed. Oh boy, where do we begin with the differences in the storage of personnel records between 50 years ago and now, eh? So, all information, private or otherwise, as you know, is pretty much stored because of technology. Indeed, in this Doctor Who story that we're about to talk about, identities are checked with central records. Ultimately, this is the impossible to resolve issue between the right of, inf- right of information at the hands of the governments and the right to privacy. But it is interesting to record the rise of the technological age and the development of these privacy problems.
1: Well, yeah. what? I, said... oh, sorry. Oh, oh, I thought I was doing this loop. Bastard. You are,
2: but I just want to interject with something very, very quickly.
1: Uh, OK, go ahead.
2: What's important to remember though is that safeguards back then weren't the same as safeguards nowadays. You can have some very, very complex safeguards these days, less so back then.
0: That is true. I mean, the Watergate building has some excellent safeguards.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I suppose it's rather difficult to conceive of security precautions you could put in place. The technology that either hasn't been invented yet or is on the cusp of being invented. So they're probably thinking it, imagining it as just being as easy to break into an unprotected office. That sort of equivalent, perhaps. But also, what is, I've said this before, what is striking is just how people in 1970 really cherish their privacy, it seems. Um, and people now either, I wonder if it's the technology has now become so part of our lives. We don't realize just how exposed they are to a handful of companies around the world know more than, more about us than we know about ourselves. And I think because this just happened so slowly, people just haven't perceived it to happen. And I suppose if someone actually was told the harsh reality of this, maybe they would revert back to being scared like in 1970, but there is a lot more of a sense of being just not caring about it, apathy.
0: Also in the news this week, there is an article about the worsening relations between Parliament and the press. We've talked a heck of a lot about the press as portrayed in Doctor Who Season 7 as being increasingly more casual more tabloid and the article in the times of london here refers to a drift away from healthy respect an increase in mutual suspicion and a failure to appreciate each other's difficulties so your usual relationship one could argue that as journalism changed from being deferential to more inquisitive what with the rise of itn and actual you know pressing journalism This in turn changed the relationship between the different elements of power. It becomes more combative between the government and the press. Negativity therefore creeps in, and then there's no going back. You could look at nowadays, where there is arguable deference to the government of the day in some cases, but then there's criticism in other places. Again, what we're seeing here in this article is the evolving nature of press relations in Britain, and the world between 50 years ago and now. That's what
2: I find so interesting about the presentation of the press so far in Season 7, because they're never really portrayed as bad people, and it's the support of the people that would allow them to have these greater laws passed in Parliament. So they're not really liked by politicians, but they're not loved by the public either, meaning that they have to fight tooth and nail in order to get anywhere. And I'll point out, by the way, that when the relationship between journalists and politicians is good, you get something like the general election... I think it was like one of the first ones to be properly broadcast. That would have been about 1992, when you just had so many politicians seeming chummy with the television anchors, and it was an awful thing to see. If the politicians start to like the journalists then it starts to feel very untrustworthy there should be a little bit of combativeness going on there just to keep things going
0: and finally there is also an emergency debate in the house of commons about the united states of america's invasion of cambodia which we might have talked about earlier in the series the labor government asks the Americans to not go back on their apparent policy of gradual withdrawal from Vietnam. As the 70s plays out, this might not happen. The government refuses specifically to condemn the Americans for going into Cambodia, so the Tories rebel and the left-wingers fail to stop the debate and egg on the faces of the government. The best comparison that I can raise for the 21st century Um, is conservative scepticism of the Iraq War, with more minor parties, in inverted commas, like the Lib Dems, taking the argument-winning stance of why war in the first place. Ultimately, though, whether that translates to the public view remains to be seen, although I suppose it does, what with the massive protests against the Vietnam War in the late 60s, and most certainly any protest against any war in the 21st century. And indeed, all this politics doesn't stop fire bombs into the American embassy in London, and that was the news and Now we shall get into Inferno episode one aired Saturday, the ninth of May, written by Don Horton. Where to begin with this one, folks, it's a seven part serial which fills the space by cramming two stories for the price of one by using the concept of parallel universes, but first, the setup the drilling project to seemingly solve an energy crisis, or at least it is in the novelisation, which is surprisingly good for, for, or hindsight, depending on when they wrote the book from Horton, considering the energy crises of the 1970s, which is therefore a very prescient story in terms of politics of the future sci-fi, as well as being very good.
1: Um, I, I think I'm safe in saying that this is the one we were almost excited for. Yeah.
2: I'd say I was more excited for Silurians in terms of this podcast. I expected to have more to say about Silurians because you can go on about it and how Hulk was obviously trying to say something about the time. So I was like, oh, that would be the easy one.
0: Yeah, but we got we got sidetracked by a bit of a virus, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was interesting. He was more pressing in, in more ways than one, so you know, all's good there. And mm. this,
1: I love this episode. It there's such a sense of full in it, isn't it? That, that that kind of humming noise is nearly constant, and then yeah. uh, that sort of haunting tune that they're playing as well it must be running about eighty percent of the runtime. It's just,
2: and it begins with a yeah, haunting it... tune from Mister Pertwee.
1: I love that a little bit because it's like they're all humming really happily but then there's also this really disturbing hum that's in the background and it's such a doesn't feel right tonally it punches you in the face and it's a great kind of way of unsettling you so you feel unsettled
0: right away it drills into your subconscious oh that's a good word drills Mm
2: -hmm. what I find interesting generally about this one is how we were saying in Spearhead from Space about the folk horror connection, how that one dwells a lot in the English countryside, and you've got that one little artefact that's going to start the apocalypse from days of deep. This one kind of is doing similar things, except here you've got a real sense of isolation, where Spearhead from Space, it ends in Oxford Street. Here, they are actually drilling down into the earth, a la Blood on Satan's Claw, which is one of the themes of that one. And you also have this real primitivism that runs through it. You know, they're being thrown back to an earlier... I I don't know exactly how it works, but they go green. It's like going back into a monkey state. So you've got those elements from folk horror as well unfolding here, which I think is very interesting, especially since... They were basing all of this on Quatermass, and Nigel Neal wrote quite a lot of folk horror. So I think there's something to this.
0: Hmm, there is, there is an element of folk horror, but there's possibly also an element of um, near-history industrial horror in terms of the accidents that can and did happen with nuclear power stations, and with this being in such an industrial setting... That would also be the idea of viewers. I've literally just <laughs> Googled the wind scale disaster.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that was nuclear a disaster in the 50s, wasn't it? 19-
0: yeah. So um, that'll definitely be in the minds of Don Horton, at least, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, oh, sorry, sorry, Luke, this is, this is like echoing the point that we made way back in Spear from Space, isn't it? That we This is a bit of a throwback to the 50s, but marrying in with some more contemporary elements. So here we've got the folk horror that you were talking about. Plus, i also been with this industrial horror as well that was contemporary. So we're marrying 50s sci-fi with folk horror, what, what, late 60s folk horror and contemporary industrial horror.
0: Very good. Very good. Yes, this episode is full of horror. So let's go and be scared by it in greater detail. The Doctor travels to Project Inferno. A project to drill into the Earth's crust and release biogas which will power the world or something. Scientists galore work on this drilling project, including Sir Keith Gold, who calls in a maintenance man to look at a cut in the pipework. And indeed, he slows down the drilling rate, much to the irritation of the director of the project, Professor Stallman. Ooh, politics. When the maintenance man does his job, Green ooze comes out and the maintenance man appears to get infected. He stumbles out, the technician comes to help him and he gets clobbered to death. Um, I have a
1: point to make about this, which is I remember at the beginning of this series we were talking about how it was not really taking advantage of that it was in colour. I do think we did mention this in one of our Spear from Space episodes, but Again, now it's just happened, the volcano bit at the introduction. I can't see how that would look very good in black and white. It's the colour, that that red that dominates the screen. Right? I feel like it's really needed.
0: Very much so, yeah. It, it, it's When said same stock footage was used three years earlier in The Enemy of the World, it doesn't quite necessarily grab the scale of the disaster, which is about to unfold, as it does here in Inferno.
2: Turns out colour's a pretty good idea.
0: Yes! Sorry, dogs!
1: So, it was in the from Space, they did like a, a hard cut uh, when they were out like in the factory. And then here we get a karate chop and then hard cut to a nail being hammered in. I thought, oh, that's another kind of like clever little direction sort of stuff going on there, which it just it just stands out to you
0: because normally they don't do stuff like that, do they, Like No, um, they don't. Can anyone remind me of the director for Spearhead from Space?
2: It was Man.
0: Director. Director. Oh, Mm. Derek Martinez. Oh, okay. That's the Um. dude, yeah. Hmm. Because obviously we've got Douglas Canfield here for at least the first two and a bit episodes before he has a massive heart explosion. Mm. Yeah, but
2: um, Barry Letts just went from all his
1: notes. Yeah. Yeah, Canfield is one of the most... One of the best action directors of Doctor Who, isn't he? Yes. And perfect for the the chase scenes in the industrial uh, graveyard horror show
0: that we're now in. Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> okay. And so here, of course, we've got the introduction of well, I guess the main villain of the piece, uh, Professor Starman. And so 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 his name is Starman, and his assistant is Petra. And these are Eastern European-sounding names. Well, Starman sounds German. So it makes sense that perhaps he is an East German scientist who's either fled um, from East Germany during the Cold War or perhaps was pinched by Britain after the Second World War. Um, and that would explain, if he's come from a totalitarian society, his, his absolute hatred of authority, paranoia that people are trying to stop him and every which way, because otherwise it's it's just, he seems like he's insane, but if he's coming from East Germany and when you've got the Stasi, yeah,
0: paranoia is justified. Very much so, and that can indeed take into account many of the political, well, I call it political, they're just red-hot arguments between Stalman and Gold and, to a greater extent, Greg Sutton. Yeah,
1: and this also has, well, an example of a kind of an outdated stereotype now, because I mean, you don't have the crazy Eastern European scientist that's fled communism or whatever anymore. Um, so that's an old stereotype that this has that was more relevant 50 years ago.
0: Unit and the doctor are there to supervise Project Inferno and look for the maintenance man who's gone murderous. We have some banter about the brigadier's moustache. We'll file that away for later before we get down to business the murderer's weapon is hot for some reason. Sir Keith has sent for a drilling consultant to make sure that the project is being done properly. It's Greg Sutton, who is mildly miffed at being called in from Kuwait to be a contingency in the event of emergencies. So he makes several jokes, one at civil servants' expense and one at the devil's expense. Although, given this current season, they're both the same thing. Ha 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 ha. He's a man, though, so he attempts to take advantage of Starman's personal assistant Petra and fails. He also attempts to befriend Starman and fails. Politics are indeed red-hot in Project Inferno. And the Doctor just stirs the pot a little as well before he returns to his own workplace.
2: Okay, so I'm going to go off on one of my rambly points. So... This season we have a lot of villains in this sort of vein. They are initially a fairly high-powered figure and then we find somebody who's more powerful than them then they become a sympathetic figure. For example, Scobie, Mackay, Sir James, Hibbert, not Nida to an extent once we get near the end... What's-His-Face-From-As-Time-Goes-By starts to become the scumbag, and Not Niger starts to become a bit more sympathetic when he dies. It's a loose one, but I could just go along with it for the moment, alright? Just go along with it.
0: What's-His-Face-From-As-Time-Goes-By? I can't remember his name! Geoffrey Palmer, Master. Geoffrey
2: Palmer, yes, that's the dude. Civil Servants haven't exactly been loved this season. They've had their hmm. moments of being nice, but... There's always something underneath it, as with Geoffrey Palmer and with Sir James, and the fact that civil servants are literally all the enemies inspired from space when they start walking out of Madame Tussauds. So in this one, I was very surprised to find that Sir Keith Gold is basically the good guy in all of this and the voice of reason. And what I'm saying is, it's because he has already been made sympathetic because of the higher power who is evil, that being Starman. Now, I say this suggests a number of things about the time period. We start to see some moral grey of authority figures, not very interesting. But there also suggests a loss of control at an authority level, that they're not able to command respect properly. And it also suggests that authority is being humanised. If we look at how they're on TV more and how they're subjected to scrutiny a la Robin Day. You know, in 1963, he was calling for the televisation of Parliament. And later in 1970, on the 13th of October, he creates a show called It's Your Line on Radio 4 that allows people to call in to quiz politicians themselves, meaning the separation between the higher classes of politicians and government and the lower classes of workers is starting to narrow. So that's what I think is going on here when we see somebody like somebody like Hibbert or Sir James Quinlan, them initially seeming like awful people who are right at the top of the food chain, then we learn they're not at the top of the food chain and they're being manipulated by someone who's evil and of a higher power, does suggest that there's a humanisation of authority and of their own dilemmas.
0: That is a very interesting point. Yeah, there's there's this breakdown in hierarchy based on an evolution or, you know, basically by creating humanisation factors, but by also, as you say, supplanting in this big, there are higher authorities the likes of which we human minds cannot understand, conspiracies and what have you. Ooh, Which is ripe for sci-fi and indeed for this series.
1: No, and your point was borne out in the news that we had this week, you know, uh, with yeah, the you know, relations between the press and the parliament deteriorating. Because, again, authorities being humanised, they're not these untouchable, you know, amazing figures anymore. Like the Danes present, present themselves to newspapers or whatever. They're, they're just people
0: one one is failing to understand the other because both are changing although you know the politics are still belittled by the same two main leaders of the political parties you've got the rise of tabloid journalism and press barons like murdoch quite right. so that, that, that so it's all well and good to attack the tabloid journalists themselves but why not attack the person in charge of the tabloid journalists, as you say in your speech about civil servants. Excellent, lovely. I enjoyed that. Good.
1: That's
0: <laughs> going tip, in now,
1: Ben. <laughs>
0: Ass <Asshats>. Right. <clears throat> the Doctor goes to his hut to see Liz and the TARDIS console, and together they conduct repairs to the console and perform a test to see if the original prop won't collapse under its own weight. It is seven years old, after all. But this is because the Doctor is impatient to try and get off Earth still, much to Liz's annoyance. The Doctor is tapping into their energy supplies, the energy supplies of Project Inferno, to work on the TARDIS console. However, the experiment goes wrong. Because the technician, who is turning green, like the goo he touched, invades the power room, murders the scientist, it seems, and causes a power surge in the nuclear reactor. Whilst the doctor has a trip into interstitial limbo, trademark, Liz eventually rescues him. Now I'd like to talk about the doctor's motives here, because... At this point, you could argue he's still being quite the selfish ass, trying to escape from Earth and do his own thing as being a space cosmic hobo, even though he's changed into a dandy. Here he charms Liz to help him and drains power from what should be a totally legit government project. And I'd like to compare this to his motives in The Green Death, where he basically says, no, I'm not going to investigate Earth ecological problems, that's not my problem. I'm going to go and explore a famous planet in the Actian galaxy. And it seems to relate to the Third Doctor's motives in general of, I'm just going to be a hero and do my own thing. He even says he's a free agent to the Brigadier earlier in the episode. Much to the Brigadier's exasperated, arched eyebrow. It's a, it's a very interesting concept of the renegade.
1: Yeah, he's he's definitely still not Uh, The unit family is still not a thing yet. Definitely not. Uh, You're only getting the slight hints of it. You know, uh, the Doctor makes a joke with him in the Silurians, and here they have a little bit of banter about the Briggs moustache, but we're still a long way from them being all happy. Yeah, chummy. What
2: I'm finding interesting about how you're saying he's a renegade in this interesting interpretation, in 63 through 69... He's able to go to a planet, be a renegade, and turn everything on its head. Here, he's not really able to, because the laws of Earth don't really allow that. You know, if the Doctor overthrew Earth, the your, your story's screwed. So he's trying to be a renegade with a day job, and I think that is kind of interesting when you look at. Obviously, this he is has a bit. He's re- a
0: civil servant. Yes. He has become the civil servant and he's stuck because of the greater authority, i.e. the Time Lords. That is interesting.
2: (laughs) That is interesting, but it wasn't where I was going to go with this. Um, Essentially, if you look at 60s countercultural optimism of you can change things, here he's thrust into a series where he can't change anything, which is kind of where folk horror originated from when hippies decided wait, none of this is actually working or doing all that much and everything in fact kinda of sucks.
0: Or oh, so god it may- damn it, I'm a space professor, I just want to launch rockets into space. Why do aliens keep attacking?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I think that's an interesting way to look at the Renegade and the Doctor Motors here. He's holding on to a certain optimism that he'd be able to change things. Except, of course, on Earth, he can't change things. So, mm. I, th- I think that's an interesting one.
0: Fascinating concepts here, yeah. The drill head overloads because of the power surge, but Starman wants to continue drilling, and everybody protests at him for being appallingly dangerous and tries to stop the drill head from, you know, collapsing. The brigadier and the doctor go to investigate the power room and meet the little green man, as an Australian continuity announcer would describe him.
1: Mm, It seems quite appropriate to have an authority figure berating experts and saying they're useless and don't want to think about them, because until the last month or so, certain authority figures in certain countries had been doing exactly that for a number of years.
0: Hmm, until it became a matter of life and death, in which case, yep, we'll like you now.
1: Well, uh, hey, an expert was brought in by an authority figure in this, serial. Well, people have always hated experts,
2: because an expert is only an expert if they agree with you. If they don't agree with you, they're a fool. And in fact, what they found is that if you see an expert and you agree with them, you agree with your own point more. But if the expert disagrees with you, you still agree with your own point more. You just hate them more. So it's just human psychology to
0: hate anyone
2: who disagrees. Yeah, really
0: right. also, re- also read the hierarchy point we talked about earlier.
1: Mm. Yeah, because no, it's a hierarchy
0: it, of intelligence.
1: And, and, and that point you just made it reminds me of that. Uh, there's an episode of The Thick of It. Uh, where there's, a, I have an expert. They have different ex- experts with different opinions. You've got to know what
2: an expert is going to advise you before he advises you.
0: <laughs> yeah. And despite the fact that's completely yes man or yes woman, depending on your gender point.
1: Although here, uh, uh, Gold is shown to be doing it in good faith, but it could be very easily just a little tweak of it and it could be shown that he's brought in a man to shut down Starman. And I guess that's how Starman views it, isn't it? Because of his paranoia of authority.
0: It is a very interesting anomaly, which we have discussed at great length, which has gone into the concept of hierarchy, which has gone into the concept of intelligence. And it has also gone into the concept of horror, both folk and industrial. It is a very packed episode of Doctor Who from 50 years ago. Thank you very much for watching. You can find us on Blogspot, which redirects to iTunes. Leave positive comments there because it really helps. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube, where you can like, comment and subscribe nicely if you please. Join us next week to walk across the rafters of episode two of Inferno. Until then, I've been Ben.
1: I've been Luke. And I've been Nick. Thank you and goodbye.